Warning. Contained herein lies information that is both dark and disturbing. It is pulled directly from the archives of the repository. Should you find yourself offended by not only this episode, but the bulk of this podcast, we recommend going to your nearest religious institution or windowless room where the ills of the world cannot harm your piteously fragile way of thinking. You have been warned. In the back of your mind lies a place. A place where every disturbing visual and dark piece of information lie in wait. Some choose to run from it. Some choose to deny this place even exists. But not you. You find yourself enticed by this wellspring of the macabre. It calls to you. It beckons you. A voice in the dark. You seek an ally. Someone to walk you through the depths of this place. And that search brings you to me. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Mr. Blackheart. And welcome to the repository. Greetings, Acolytes, and welcome to the Repository. I am your host, Chronicler of the Dark and Lorekeeper of the Murderous and Macabre, Mr. Blackheart. Today on the Repository, we will be hopping into the Wayback Machine to Hungary, and we will be discussing a woman who dwarves the most prolific serial killers of the modern day. For some semblance of perspective, John Wayne Gacy killed 33 people, Ted Bundy killed 30, H.H. Holmes killed 27, and Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, killed 13. The woman we will be discussing today has a staggering body count of over 650, with over 300 witnesses testifying to her unbridled cruelty. Multiple accounts of witnessing bodies and the dying breaths of mutilated girls. Today, we speak of a woman who was named by the Guinness Book of World Records as the most prolific murderer of all time. A serial killer so prolific Bram Stoker himself drew inspiration for Dracula. Today on the show, we discuss a woman who became part of Hungarian folklore. A woman who is said to have bathed in the blood of virgins and is often compared to Vlad the Impaler. It is my pleasure to bring to you the frankly bloody tale of Elizabeth Bathory. A.K.A. The Blood Countess. Born Elizabeth Bathory on August 7, 1560, in Nair Bator in the Kingdom of Hungary. She was born with severe medical problems, and it is suspected 
these problems stemmed from her being inbred. And very much like Joffrey Baratheon, she was exposed to violence at a very young age, and instead of the usual behavior of young children running away from violence, Bathory was instead drawn to it. Regularly witnessing her family's servants being beaten, and at one point laughing hysterically at the sight of a horse thief being sewn alive into the horse he tried to steal. Between the ages of 10 and 15, she became engaged to Ferenc Nadazdi and was moved into the home of her fiancé to learn how to run the estates under the control of her mother-in-law. It was rumored at the time that Bathory fell in love with and was impregnated by a peasant. Ferenc discovered the tryst and had the boy castrated and fed to starving dogs. Bathory married Ferenc on May 8th, 1574, and was gifted the, frankly, overly gothic by gothic architecture standards, the castle of Chastitza. The first few years of the marriage, Elizabeth was learning to control the estates she now owned. In 1591, the Turks invaded Hungary, and Ferenc was off fighting. He proved himself a capable warrior, earning himself the nickname the Black Knight of Hungary. The war had severely damaged the Hungarian economy, with both the Bathory and the Nadazdi families lending money to the Habsburg Empire simply to keep the country afloat. Turks would eventually threaten Castle Chastitza, and it fell to Bathory to muster a defense. Which she did. She has well provided shelter and aid to refugees fleeing the Turkish onslaught. As I said a bit earlier on, Bathory became desensitized to violence at a very young age, and in the same time, while she and Ferenc were bonding, they were bonding over their mutual love of sadistic behavior and love of torture. With the older Ferenc teaching his young wife innovative methods of torture, such as placing oil-soaked rags between the toes of servants who displeased her and setting them on fire. Ferenc at one point gave her a clawed glove to scourge the faces of her servants. It can be argued that while she was desensitized to violence as a child, it's her husband that instilled her love of it. In 1601, the house was joined by Anna Darvulia, who was purported to be a witch. A change emerged in Bathory at this point. Her lust for torture turned to murder. While Ferenc taught her how to torture, Anna Darvulia taught her how to kill. Several servant girls were killed by Bathory around this time. The disappearance of the girls went unnoticed as nothing could be done to investigate them, as peasants were unable to bring charges against nobility at this time. The Bathory family silenced any questions that arose. However, and frankly, naturally, rumors still persisted. 
priests began to speculate about the goings-on at Chastitza, as multiple priests were summoned on a regular basis to the castle to conduct funeral rites. A priest became suspicious after coming to the knowledge that all the girls who recently died all shared the same cause of death and confronted Bathory. Your grace should not have acted so, because it offends the Lord, as we will all be punished. If we do not complain and criticize your grace in order to confirm my words are true, we need only exhume the body and you will find the marks identify the way in which death occurred. Bathory threatened the priest, saying her family wouldn't tolerate such talk. She left in a rage leaving Ferrets to smooth things over with the church. All right, acolytes, please take a moment to ruminate on what you've learned. We'll be right back. Ferrets became unwell in 1601. And it is unknown what beset him, but it is known the condition did lead to paralysis, and he passed away in 1604. After the death of her husband, Bathory's personality became even more sadistic. Bathory would lure girls from villages surrounding her holdings, and when she grew tired of them, they would be killed and their bodies thrown over the castle wall to be fed to the wolves. Bathory did not act alone in her deeds, however. She gathered a group to aid in her crimes. The nurse and governess of her children, Iona Jo, Dorka, a close friend of the Countess, and a washerwoman named Catalina. Or Caitlin, the accounts differ. And we already know the witch Anna Darvulia, and the youngest of the group being a teen named Fizco. Anna and Dorka would try to outdo each other in acts of cruelty. The girls would find themselves being tortured for the littlest mistakes, such as missing a stitch. Bathory would glare at the servant, and begin violently beating them. Often the punishments administered would match the mistake. If a mistake was made while sewing, the Countess would have the girl stripped naked and stabbed with sewing needles. Bathory reveled in psychological torture as well after inserting needles under the fingernails of a servant girl. She would say, if it hurts, the little whore can pull it out. This would signal to the little girl that her pain was over and she'd begin to remove the needle. Bathory would brandish a blade and cut off the finger. Bathory at one point went so far as to bite a chunk of flesh from the face of one of her servants. The girls would be dragged off to the torture chamber, where they endured torture so horrifying it would make Eli Roth blush. The girls had their flesh ripped by hot pincers, girls were disemboweled, and many were forced into cannibalism. It's been said that the floors of the torture room were dyed blood red from the floors and from the bodies of all the people who were tortured there. And it is said that those blood-red floors are still there to this day, 
all floors the survivors were forced to clean. I can't imagine that. Watching one of your friends be killed, and then being told you'd be killed if you didn't clean up their blood and their guts. I may be a lot of things, but that is enough to churn even my stomach. In 1609, rumors of Bathory's crimes had reached commoners. Despite rumors of such horror, poorer peasants often sold their daughters to Bathory. Girls were dying at such alarming rates. Places of burial ran dry. Girls were buried in shallow graves in the castle courtyard where they were dug up by dogs. Anna Darvulia died in the same year, and trouble for Bathory began to arise. Debt. Debt began to mount. Her children whole had left Chastitza, and she fell into a dark depression and loneliness. Bathory realized she needed a better class of victim. She was approached by a servant and yet another purported witch, Ersime Jarova. She told Bathory if she took the lives of noble children, her fortunes would change. Now, I'm led to the belief that Majorova wasn't a witch, but someone who knew how to play the system and play it exceptionally well. It was obvious Bathory was mentally ill. It was also obvious that ready access to peasant girls had dried up, and I can't help but shake the feeling that Major Roba was just as bad as Bathory, if not worse, and she knew targeting noble girls could replenish the Bathory coffers whether the girls died or not. Bathory would go on to open a finishing school for noble girls at Chastitza. It's at this point in our tale, Bathory's crimes would begin to unravel. What she failed to take into account was the families of noble girls would go looking for their children if they went missing. And given her mental state, Bathory just viewed this as a new pool of fresh bodies. After a while, more girls went missing, and families began inquiries into the whereabouts of their children. Bathory made a litany of excuses, saying the girls went insane and committed suicide. Other girls went insane and murdered other girls. Not a single soul believed her. The noble families Bathory targeted appealed to King Matthias II. The king launched an investigation and appointed Georgie Thurzo, an old friend of Bathory's late husband. On his deathbed, Ferenc asked Georgie to look after the Countess. While Thurzo agreed, his loyalties were not with his late friend, but with the king. Thurzo set out for the villages surrounding Chastitza and the other holdings in Bathory's grasp, and after speaking with multiple people, none of whom were eyewitnesses, mind you, somehow he became convinced of her guilt. Thurzo felt guilt at breaking his vow to his friend, and wrote to Bathory's family asking for advice. The family hashed out an agreement with him. Enabling him to complete his investigation, Bathory would go to prison and the family's reputation would remain untainted by the crimes of their daughter. And not a single member of the Bathory family got in Thurzo's way.
Thurzo was invited to dinner at Chastitza. Bathory was nervous, but the dinner went well. Dessert was served and the men immediately began to fall ill, and the men made an exit. And naturally, you guessed it, Thurzo immediately suspected that they were poisoned. On New Year's Eve of 1610, Thurzo returned to Chastitza with a contingent of soldiers. They waited outside and observed Bathory and Majorova reciting an incantation to protect the Countess and kill Investigator Thurzo. The men crept towards the castle and found a mutilated girl in the gatehouse. Two more were discovered in the courtyard. The group heard screaming and followed the sounds to the dungeon. Thurzo and the soldiers found the torture chamber and Bathory's team hard at work. Bathory was taken into custody, and during the investigation, she blamed all the atrocities on her servants. Bathory was thrown into her own dungeon, and 306 people testified against her at trial. Her conspirators threw her under the bus at trial. Bathory's accomplices were put on trial in January of 1611, and the full weight of the law came crashing down on their heads in... finger-lickingly delicious ironic fashion. Iona, Joe, and Dorka were tortured prior to execution. Their fingernails and tongues were torn out and they were thrown into a bonfire where they were burned alive. Fizco was then beheaded and burned, and Catalin or Catalina, whatever you want to call her, the washerwoman was spared because it was proven she tried to care for the victims and was in turn victimized herself for her compassion. Bathory, however, was imprisoned for life in her own dungeons, with the only visitors being priests and investigator Thurzo. Bathory was unrepentant, crazed with anger. The priests asked her why. Why if her servants were the ones solely responsible for the horrendous murders, why not order them to stop? And Bathory's only response was, she was afraid of them. Bathory saved all of her hatred for Investigator Thurzo. Every visit he'd be met by relentless harassment and Thurzo kept his calm. And after one too many barbs, Thurzo finally said, You were in the last months of your life. You do not deserve to breathe the air on this earth or see the light of the Lord. You shall disappear from this world and shall never reappear in it again. As the shadows envelop you, may you find time to repent for your bestial life. The morning of August 20th, 1614, Bathory complained to a guard of being cold and not feeling well. The guard told her to go back to sleep. She died of a stroke that same night. I am delighted to say that I once again find myself compelled to ask what you all thought of today's tale. 
That's all the time we have for today, Acolytes. Tune in next week when we delve even deeper into the repository for more tales scoured from the depths of history and the internet. I am currently rebranding my social media presence, so please, stay tuned so you can stay up to date on all the goings on with the show. Once again, I am your host, chronicler of the dark and lorekeeper of the murderous and macabre Mr. Blackheart, signing off. This has been a Repository Production.